Welcome to the Farm to School podcast, where you will hear stories of how you thrive and farmers prosper when we grow, cook, and eat delicious, nutritious local food in schools. We're your hosts, Michelle Markestein. And I'm Rick Sherman. We are the Farm to School coordinators for the state of Oregon. So, Michelle, uh, What's hello. up, Rick? Hey. Welcome. Uh, this is our second part where we are interviewing hosts, and we have a lot to unpack because it's my turn to interview you, Michelle oh, Markestein. Oh, no, no. And it's so surreal because literally you've done everything in farm to school in the state of Oregon. Uh, you've been in so many positions. It's, it's, you've, you've, you've literally been everywhere. It's, it's crazy, but, um, and you're one of the go-to people in the country for farm to school. You always have been, you're one of the pioneers, if I can use that term in farm to school. So did you always want to be a state agency <laughs> farm to school person? That's a very funny question. Um, did I always want to be a part? There, it, it was not even a profession. It was not even a term. It's something that we've known for about 20 years. And I, I was thinking back, like, what are those pivotal moments, you know, when your life changes in a second? And it was about 2004, and I was um, an emergency credential teacher for the state of California for environmental science and math for high school and I was teaching at the first ever youth initiated high school in the country. It's called the Bay Area School of Enterprise. And it was amazing. It was like a couple of students with two adults got together and wrote a charter and created a school because they wanted to do project-based learning. Where was this at in California? Alameda, California. Oh, near Oakland. And yes, that's exactly where it is. And so it's the first year high school students actually interviewed me and hired me and during the course of the year, many of these students were the first students who ever graduated high school, which for me was also the case. My father never finished high school. He immigrated to this country uh, shortly after World War II. And so at the time, I was in a graduate school program, actually in a doctoral program at Tufts University. So to see these kids graduating high school and you know, I was pushing them to find their passion and do their thing, and literally one of them blew up at me. And she said, you say, find your passion and what color is your parachute? But if you were really honest with yourself, you would either be an aerobics instructor or do your doctorate on school gardening. Why did she say that? Aerobics instructor. What? Well, I'm, I'm pretty energetic, I you, guess. <laughs> you are. You're a ball of energy, yes. And in the classroom, I'm very energetic as well. So I took that. Like I said, I was doing a doctoral program. At the time, I had gotten through all of my coursework, and I was defending um, to do my research on farmers' attitudes, knowledge, and behaviors towards climate change. Hmm. And in that moment when she was saying, you should do school gardenings, because that's where your passion is, I thought, you're right. I should be an aerobics instructor. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, you're right. I should be a school garden person. No, I've never taken the path of least resistance. I kind of mm -hmm. always been that salmon swimming upstream. So I did more physical activity. And then this one student, Helene, hey, Helene, if you're out there, um, we're still very close, more than 20 years later. Helene did her senior project in high school on a community garden. And in Alameda, where we were, was on an old Navy base. And it was also a place where um, 
folks with HIV, survivors of domestic violence, other mixed economic um, incomes were there. And this community garden build day, more than 300 people came and built beds together, worked together, ate together, planned together, and it changed my life. Wow, I was just going to say, it sounds like that was a pivotal moment for you, yeah. It was a huge pivotal moment, and I was like, I'm glad I work out a lot so that it's easy to build these school gardens and do the physical activity with it the kids. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And I am going to do my doctoral research on school gardens. And that had that ever been done before a doctoral like to do a doctoral research on I think there at that time so I started a doctoral program in 1999 and at that time I think there was maybe three people who had done doctoral level research and the feeling at Tufts University was like yo Michelle this is not actually a field of study school gardens like there's anecdotal evidence it's called a lot of gray literature um but this idea that you would do your dissertation research, there's not even a theoretical framework for how and why school gardens um, do what all the magical things we think they do. So I was like, oh, great, then we'll just create a theory. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I didn't honestly know any better. Um, it sounds like I have a super fancy academic pedigree, and I do. I'm very lucky and work really hard. But the reality is, is that... I graduated high school with about an eighth grade reading level. That part is crazy. I've heard that story before. Please expand on that a little bit. Oh, about about um, yeah. My go experience. back. Go <clears throat> back to um, uh, uh, young Michelle. Yeah. Okay, because you know life is like a giant slinky, right? It keeps circling back on itself, and hopefully we grow a little. That's my view of it, anyway. Okay. Oh uh, yeah, and so. You know, that school garden in Alameda was pivotal, but actually many of the seeds for that moment were planted earlier on in life. Um, when I graduated high school with about an eighth grade reading level, I was dyslexic and super challenged at school. Like that sit down in a desk learning environment was not for me. Um, and my mom, like her one piece of advice uh, that she got from her mom and kind of drilled into my head was, Michelle, and I have one um, sister, older sister, Kathleen, and two stepsisters, Lisa and Krista. And the whole story was, girls, you got to learn how to have a career and take care of yourself and your family because you never know what happens in life. That's good advice. That was good advice. And um, I was like, well, great. I will have a career. I will sell earrings at Grateful Dead concerts. I will... <laughs> not what she meant. <laughs> I was like, no. Oh, okay. Then I will grow food. And um, I got my start in growing food in my upstate New York suburban backyard. Uh, it was 1988 when I st started gardening. Um, and my mom wouldn't take me to the mall for get my ears pierced for the third time. It was the 80s, mm -hmm. you know. Cindy Lauper, girls just want to have fun. You just got to kind of picture it. Mm -hmm. And I was so mad at her that I was like, I'll just do it myself, which is really gross. I just like stuck a safety pin through my ear and I was so angry and I had like so, so much energy. I took a shovel and I completely within a week transformed my parents' suburban backyard into just oasis gardens. And 
it was like in that moment of like my worst anger and frustration as a youth, I just found peace and digging in the earth and was so grounded. You know, it's funny you say that because there's studies that actually show that, especially for youth, something happens when you put your hands in the dirt. There's a calming effect. And um, maybe I should, I, we could put that in the show notes. I, there's a couple studies in there, but especially like we hear that at alternative schools where you interview the kids and they'll say, if I would have known this was here, it would have changed my life so much earlier, you know. But yeah, I, I appreciate what you're saying. Well, and that's it, right? Uh, the other thing um, there's now research on, but was my lived experience, was gardening, growing food, eating food I had grown, like the light bulb went on for me. Yeah. I got interested in school. I started caring about myself. I started caring about the earth, the world, the environment, my community, where before I was a punk kid, like, peace out, all of a sudden, growing food and gardening changed my entire life wow. and my family's life. Yeah. So to have that experience as a youth and then just kind of bumble along in what I did and then, you know, basically 15 years later, be with high school youth again and to have that experience so many things came crashing together for me. Mm. So I now was like, I'm doing dissertation research on school gardens. And Okay, thanks for catching us up on that. That, that <laughs> makes, that's really, uh, really valuable background. Okay. And if I didn't have all those experiences, I never would have been able to do the theoretical research and foundations that I've done that shows how school gardens, right, change the curricular, physical, and social learning environments in okay. schools that influences development of the whole child. And so it's directly from yeah. all those like lived experiences I had. Okay, so you did your dissertation at Tufts, and then I think after that, then you, you probably moved out west, out to Portland, right? Actually, that... I was already in California that whole time. Okay. So Tufts is in Boston, right. but, you know, I was like the, the one of the few domestic ones. Most of those programs are international. Okay, so, so then what happened? Well, one of the parts of the study was, you know, I could see clearly that you can change what kids think, know, and feel about food, but you're not going to change what they eat unless it's available to them. I've heard that before from you. Yes. <laughs> so I got really curious about how do you get like really delicious local foods in schools? Um, and then hooked up with lots of folks who were, you know, it, again, it wasn't called farm to school then, but some of those things, ideas were percolating up um, and, you know, moved from California up to Oregon. Oregon was an intentional move because at that time in my life, right, I was doing a doctoral program. I had just gotten married. A couple months later, my dad died. Literally six months after that, my mom died. I was probably like 28 years old and was like, whoa, I need to be grounded. And so we came up to Oregon to get a farm, raise a family, and just put down some deep roots. And in coming here, I was like, oh, this is what I do. I'm a school garden person. So I went and met with the director of agriculture for the Oregon Department of Agriculture. And I went and met the child nutrition program director, then Joyce Doherty. And, you know, was just like, hi, I'm coming to Oregon. Uh, and I think there was this one moment where we were getting to know each other. I was going to conferences. And um, it's a little bold, but this is what you do. I just said, hey, 
I will be acting as the state school garden coordinator until you hire me or tell me to stop. Wow. And that's how I got the position at the Department of Education. Oh, wow. And that what, what year was that about? 2008. 2008. Okay. All right. And so I actually hadn't defended my dissertation yet. I was doing that on contract with the Department of Education and started... At that point, the child nutrition programs was like, gosh, there's lots of people talking about local foods. Let's get them together. And so Joyce kept convening people and asked me to facilitate this group, which then grew into the Oregon Farm to School Network. Mm. And in that time, um, we kind of really glossed over this. But before I did a doctorate, I actually went to law school and did a master's in environmental law and policy. And as part of that, I interned for the Legislative Council, the Vermont State Assembly, and learned how to draft and amend language. So in 2006, when we were sitting at meetings in Portland and somebody says, gosh, we need money from the state legislature, I was like, oh, well, we just write a bill. So we did. We just literally wrote a bill. Um, and then there was legislators who were like, we need policy concepts. And guess what? We had a bill ready for them um, and some policy concepts ready to go. So... Where do I go from there? Well, weren't, weren't you, uh, so first of all, that bill, was that the bill that introduced the position that I have now? Because that was one of the bills you helped in, introduce. So I came to Oregon with a lot of energy and like you heard about these bills, I wasn't working for anyone particular at that point and then started working for EcoTrust. Um, Deborah Kane, who uh, went on to really shape and Found farm to school uh, community food systems at the USDA was at EcoTrust at that time. And it was really funny. We were kind of behind the scenes. I was like, hey, Deborah, I want you to hire me to be the farm to school director at EcoTrust, and we need to work on policy. That that sums up Michelle, everybody, <laughs> because that's what she does. She'll she'll figure out a way to create a position for herself. She'll see the need, like she's said. Well, to get the work done. To I get the work done. The yes. It's just it's done. amazing. So if anybody well, needs something done and it, and it's in her wheelhouse and her passion, there you go. Thank you. Yeah. But it well, uh, is is all along the way. So we kinda were, flew under the radar for a while because at that time EcoTrust did not work on policy. Um, mm. And it's, you know, a lot of nonprofits think they cannot be advocates, and that's actually not the case. You can't spend more than X percent of your budget on advocacy. Mm. But the reality is, is we all are advocates. Um, Except for me, because I work for a state agency. And explain that part of it. Like, oh, sure. I was going to say, talk except about, for me, too. <laughs> yeah. Talk about advocacy, because that, like, I, that's that's a hard one to get. What just, what what does oh, that mean? What is advocacy? Yeah. Um, well, it can mean a lot of different things and be di very different specific uh, ways of going about it. But let's take this instance of farm to school in Oregon. Um, there was an idea of let's get schools money to buy food. Schools don't have enough money to feed kids so that they can learn. Okay. Well, on its own, you would say, ah, oh, people are already spending tons of money on schools. We don't want to give them more money. Hmm. But if you say, how about we give them money to spend it on Oregon agriculture? Now you have folks who advocate for nutrition, love nutrition, and now you have ag folks and advocates for agriculture coming together. So that's a way of shaping policy to increase the number of folks who will advocate on behalf of it. Okay, that makes sense. But And so there are people that can 
like you were saying, can advocate to legislatures uh, and some that um, it's not in their job purview to do so. Oh, so like you as a state agency and me at Oregon State University, we can provide information in our roles, but we wouldn't advocate to the legislature. So 15 years ago, I would go knock on the door of a legislator and say, hey, there's this bill that we drafted and we want you to co-sponsor it and we want you to support it. And here's why it's important. And that's how we would drum up support. Okay, thanks. That really answers, I think, questions that people would have for for that. Thanks for tying it up. So nice with a little bow. Um, I have one more story that's super fun. I was recently thinking about of um, farm to school policy in Oregon. So I postponed defending my dissertation to present to the Oregon State Legislature the farm-to-school bills for the first time. And what those ideas were, again, is to decrease barriers and increase opportunities, you know, drive demand and supply for local foods and schools. And so we asked for a position in the Department of Education Child Nutrition Programs to really ready the buyers, a position in the Department of Agriculture to um, smooth out issues related to supply and distribution. And then because it's a holistic systems approach, that's just money on the plate. You also have to be able to you know, engage kids and teach them about where their food comes from so they're more likely to try it and eat it. And if they eat it, then the schools are going to buy it. That's right. Okay. So that yeah. was the whole systems approach. We asked for $22 million. It was laughable. But here we are introducing the idea for the first time, I think it was 2007 legislative session. And, you know, I was nervous. I had never presented to legislature before. And there's just this dais, right? You have about 12 people staring at you, stone face. With microphones. Microphones. And you're the being whole recorded thing. for the record. And, and everyone's yeah. standing behind you, and all these state agencies are like, who are these advocates? What are they doing? It's really tense. And at the end of it, my presentation, the chairwoman, I'm so remiss not knowing her name right now, said, I started as a lunch lady. And I worked my way up, became superintendent of my school district out on the coast of Oregon. And I love education so much. I spend my time as a legislature here in the education subcommittee. So she got it. She She got got it to her core, and she was able to underscore the importance of school nutrition and agriculture education, and it was a game changer. Yeah, and, you know, that's been with my experience in testifying to legislature, too. We have people on there, legislators that are farmers that get it, too. You know, they're they're parents of kids that go to to K-12 education, so... It's been nice to make that connection. We are fortunate to live in a state where um, both sides of the aisle have seen the value in this. Okay, so you uh, mentioned that you introduced bills, and I think one of those was mine that uh, that created my my position. So thank you very much. But wasn't uh, one of those a uh, one that you grew into as well? Right, the um, farm school manager at the Oregon Department of Agriculture. It was first held by um, James Baird Award-winning chef Corey Schreiber, who essentially created Pacific Northwest Cuisine. Oh, yeah. Hey, Corey, if you're out there. <laughs> um, and I was at EcoTrust at the time, and so I did. I went to the Department of Agriculture um, to establish programs and 
really try to flush out like, what is this? And I'm sure as you did when you started, it's pretty tricky. There's no roadmap. Um, there aren't state, we were the, Oregon was the first state to have positions in two state agencies and we didn't have job descriptions. Uh, we used to joke that I would rewrite my job description every three months within the state agency, which is very unusual. Mm -hmm. um, it was also challenging because then there was no, what, what are your performance metrics? Like, what are you being measured against? So worked really hard to, um, you know, figure out what is the role of a state agency. But in terms of that Oregon Department of Agriculture, uh, the, the neat thing that, the, how I explain the difference to people like we have two positions now. Michelle's not in that position anymore. I have my counterpart. Her name's Amy Gilroy, and so when somebody comes up to us and says, "Hey, I'm a farmer. I want to get my produce into the schools," I will refer them to Amy. And if somebody comes up to her and says, "I am a parent and I want to know more about farm to school my school," she will refer them to me. So I work from the schools out. And the Department of Ags works, works from farmers, ranchers, producers into the school. So we kind of tag team it from a different uh, latitude, I guess. That is the way to, to I like how that you frame that up. So at the Department of Agriculture, right, this is a new position created by the legislature. Farm to school. There's no roadmap. There's no way to know what is it that I'm supposed to do. Um, so I spent a lot of time asking folks, school food service directors, like, well, what do you need? What do you need? And, you know, in about 2009, 2010, schools were saying, well, I'm starting to buy local, but nobody knows it. So we're like, hey, let's do this campaign. So we did the Oregon Harvest for Schools campaign, mm -hmm. which is now housed and run at the Oregon Department of Education. And lots of states have Harvest of the Month or Pick of the Month or some type of social marketing campaign. And then we kind of asked, like, okay, well, what else do you need? What else do you need? And they're like, okay, we're buying it. We're telling people about it. They're starting to know about it. But that doesn't mean the kids are eating it. Kids have to have positive multiple experiences with the food in order to try it. And if they eat it, we'll buy it. So we were like, okay, what do we do? So how do we, you know, upscale basically um, and bring to scale school gardens and uh, agriculture education in Oregon so at that time, the Department of Agriculture housed Food Corps. It was a new national service program. It's in the AmeriCorps family. And we worked um, with folks all over to increase more school gardening and making mm -hmm. that connections between the cafeteria and the classroom. And then it was like, okay, well, what do you need? Hey, schools, what do you need to buy more organ agriculture? And they said, okay, we're buying it. We're telling them kids are starting to have more experiences, although we need lots more but the community has no idea what we're doing mm. in the broader sense. And this food is not available to them outside of the school environment. So we're like, oh, right, cafeteria, classroom, community. What can we do as a state agency to really address the community? And we came up with this multi-platform media campaign called Celebrate Oregon Agriculture. And we really just brought to life stories of what schools were doing and, you know, like a cool little cooking shows, um, but of school recipes. So really engaging families in that way too. I know uh, that Celebrate Oregon Ag ad, I, I'd love to go back into my files and, and recreate some of the recipes you shared on, on the local TV station. Uh, we have our Oregon uh, cranberry chutney. Oh man, I that is a tradition in our household. I bring every um, holiday, and oh, and it's um, but it's like local 
pears, cranberries, hazelnuts. And uh, yeah, it's it's wonderful. Hey, we'll put a recipe in the show notes. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. So yeah, uh, much appreciated and good work. Well, and then at that time I was thinking, you know, if we really are going to institutionalize farm to school and school gardens, it has to be commercializable. And what do I mean by that? Well, a lot of the activities were largely funded by grants from either the state or, you know, millions from philanthropics. A lot of folks are volunteering their time. And, you know, there's only so much you can do without the actual capacity and resources of time, talent, and treasure, right? Mm. So I went to Truett Family Foods, and we started a national school food service company in part. What does that mean? (laughs) National? Uh, Okay. So I went to Truett Family Foods um, to launch a national school food product. Okay. We did shelf-stable hummus from sustainably produced beans in the Northwest, and it would meet, like, and they call it in schools, a meal's credit. It it counted as a meat or meat alternate as hummus. As a USDA requirement for the school lunch program. Gotcha. So that's the idea. If you're going to institutionalize change, it has to fit within our economic structure. So, so far to recap, your journey has been a doctorate dissertation through Tufts, then the teacher um, in Alameda, and then uh, working for Ecotrust, then the Department of Ag, and now that takes us to Truett in downtown Salem. Yeah, I was okay. in Salem doing that. And, um... and not only that, I know you actually... At some point early in your career, you worked on farms, too. This is true. And while I was at Truett Family Foods, I was also cultivating my passion project. Um, And that is what has grown into Rutopia. And what that is is um, an edutainment. So there's education plus entertainment. So it's edutainment. Um, Really working on, you know, evidence-based messages to get families to grow, cook, and eat healthy local foods together. Mm -hmm. It is farm to school, but in that communications realm. And the reason why it's such a passion for me is one of the things I learned at the Department of Agriculture is that no agency, commodity commission, or individual has the mission directive or budget to tell the big story that we really need to shift social cultural norms around how we get food and feed our families at home and in schools. So Rotopia came from, again, a bunch of those need-to-know conversations. Um, That's actually how I've made my entire career is by listening to when you're in one meeting, somebody says, you know what we really need? It happens every time, right? You're walking down the street. You know what we really need? Well, just do those things. If you do those things, they turn into a job. Dream it, do it. Dream it, do it. And one of the things they kept hearing is, you know what we really need? We need like what Bill Nye, the science guy, did for science literacy and science funding in schools for agriculture, food, and the environment. And I really thought about that, and I heard it quite a bit on a national level. And I played it up, and I, as I do, make like little presentations to myself and like did the literature review on what would that be um, and how would that come around. And then one day, I was on a 5 a.m. flight out of Rochester, New York, my hometown, and uh, sitting next to a woman, and we were just kind of talking and talking. Again, it's 5 in the morning, and we're flying all the way to Seattle. And she says, well, dear, what do you want to do with your life? Okay. And I was like, well, do you really want to know? She's like, well, we got six hours. 
<laughs> and so I whipped out this presentation I had made on a multi-platform campaign. And I said, like, Bill, not a science guy, but for agriculture, food, and the environment. And she asked me questions for hours and hours. And I went on and on and on. And then at the end, when they kind of say, oh, um, please fasten your seatbelt. We'll be landing soon. She says, well, my name's Jamie Hammond, and I produce Bill Nye the Science Guy. How serendipitous is that? Always. Yeah. And she's like, and I'd like to talk to you more about that. Um, and so we did over the course of five years. Uh, we mapped out a whole bunch of different stuff, including creating 88 videos for the Oregon Department of Education. Yeah. You're welcome. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And we did it during COVID. And so it was just an amazing, um, magical time. And so now this podcast is also part of uh, Rotopia that is part of an Oregon State University program. So, um, and so th that's how I'm at Oregon State University. Um, Oregon State University Extension created the first dedicated farm to school faculty professor of practice position. And I'm mapping that out now currently as we speak in my first year of seeing what can we do with an extension to so, institutionalize So now our state school. has... Uh, not only the departments of ag and ed, but this agency position for Oregon State University, which is so awesome. Amazing trifecta. Along with amazing community organizations all over the state and the Oregon Farm to School and School Garden Network. Well, Michelle, it has been so fun talking to you. I, I learn more, even though I've known you forever, uh, I learn more all the time talking to you. Thank you so much Thank for you being for on letting, the show. Thank you for letting me share okay. my story. Farm to School podcast was written, directed, and produced by Rick Sherman and Michelle Markestein and was made possible by a grant by the United States Department of Agriculture. The content and ideas on the Farm to School podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Oregon State University, Oregon Department of Education, and the United States Department of Agriculture. The USDA, Oregon Department of Education, and Oregon State University are equal employment opportunity employers. Do you want to learn more about Farm to School? Check out our other episodes, show notes, and much more at rootopia.com. That's R-O-O-T-O-P-I-A.com. Rootopia is a project of Oregon State University. Or do you have an idea for a future podcast? Please email us at info at rootopia.com. Bye, all. Thank Thanks, you. everybody. Thanks for listening.